0: Um, like I said, today, uh, you know, I haven't preached in a while. We're back in the book of Acts, and I wanted to start off by just saying this. Man, the book of Acts for me has always been one of, like, maybe my favorite book. Uh, and I'm so excited about this series, and it's for a handful of reasons. I want to share this with you right here on the front end. The first, one that I, the first reason why I love that we're in the book of Acts is, is because I love the church, like, like at crazy significant levels, and I don't mean redemption Flagstaff. Like I have a special place right in my heart for our church, but, but I just love the church. Like I love that God, when he thought, okay, listen, way back in Genesis 3, when everything started falling apart, he, he began to think, okay, how are we going to do this, right? Like how are we going to win this entire thing back? How are we going to restore the world? He's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to form a people, I'm gonna get some people together, and they're gonna be my people, and I'm, I'm gonna invest in them, I'm gonna train them, I'm gonna love them, I'm gonna put my spirit within them, I'm gonna write my law in their hearts, I'm gonna equip them to do even greater things than my son Christ. And I love God's vision for the church, and then I just love the people of the church in all the mess and all the brokenness and all the terrible decisions that we all honestly make every single day. I love the church. I didn't grow up in the church, as many of you know, I grew up in Louisiana. And everyone else grew up in church, like except for my family, we're the one family who didn't do that. But I remember getting to California and starting to try out other churches and always just felt kind of fake to me. And I had this moment in college where I attended this this church called the Rock Church and had this opportunity for the first time. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about the churches prior, but whatever reason, God used this church to unlock the gospel story for me. That, that what was there the whole time, listen, the gospel wasn't, like, not there. It was certainly there. I just couldn't see it. And so it became unhidden to me and exposed to me now, and I believed it, and I gave my life to it. And it was all traced back, honestly, to, to a handful of people, certainly Jesus, certainly God and his work, but, but a handful of people who I know prayed for me and loved me and pointed me to Christ. I remember the day after I got saved. I called Miss Maureen, and she was a, the, one of my best friends growing up, Chris. It was her mom, his mom, it was his mom. And, uh, and I remember calling her and I said, hey, Miss Maureen, I just want you to know that, that I'm a Christian now and I'm following Jesus. And there was this, this, this long pause on the phone. And I, and I thought, honestly, I was like, are you there? Like, did you hang up? Like, is this bad news? Are you an atheist now? Like, did we switch? And then slowly I start picking up the chatter in the background and it's just her weeping. She set the phone down, she went away, she began to cry and pray for me in that moment. Meanwhile, I'm like on the phone saying, hello? (laughs) She gets on the phone, and I kind of knew this, but she told me, she goes, you know what, Vince, I've prayed that you would know Christ every single day for the last 16 years. And then I started to cry. And it's the power of the church, it's the power of the people of God, equipped by God with the story of God, to go to the world and say, God loves you and wants to know you and be in communion with you, so much to the point that he sent his only begotten son to die the death you deserve to die. That story is the story that the church possesses, and I love the church love about the book of Acts is we have the opportunity to look back and say, hey, this is how we got here. So Redemption Flagstaff and every other church in our city and in our world did not just happen if everything that we'll study over the next year does not happen. If the church that we look at, this early, this group of followers and believers don't act the way they act, we don't exist. The gospel does not get here if they don't do what they do. And so what we get to see is we're going to peel back these layers and celebrate what God did through, honestly, fallible men and women like you and I to bring the gospel to the world. I love the book of Acts because it is our ancestry. If you're here and you're a Christian, whether or not this is your church or not, what you read in the book of Acts, these are your forefathers, right? These are the front runners of our faith that brought us to where we're at. And so we get to learn from them. We get to celebrate them, and we get to see how Christ then wants to equip us in the midst of it. And then the last part is this. The book of Acts gives us the opportunity and paints a picture of what it means to be an exceptional church. And what I mean by exceptional is that really that idea, that, that accept, right? So they, they are except from other stuff, right? They are set apart. They are different other than the rest of the world. Exceptional. They take exception that when you look upon them, there's just something different. And it is that difference that allows for this ragtag bunch of believers to create the greatest religion on the face of the earth that, that caused a dead God, right, a dead Savior to be the risen king across the entire world. Like, if you're putting a religion together today, you don't write out the story that Jesus wrote out because it's very difficult to sell people on people coming back to life. But as I know Anthony spoke with you guys last week about, that's exactly what happened. That we see a church, a group of believers, so motivated by the resurrection that they were willing to be exceptional to be different than the status quo, to push against the things that people would say, well, this is the way you should live. You should care about money and your security. Like that should be top priority for you. So you college students that are here, you should care about what job you're gonna get and the status you'll have in that more than anything else in life. You should care about your status as a person amongst your friends, and how many likes you have, and how many friends you have, because that is of utmost importance. Now, the lies that this world wants to constantly push down the throats of our humanity are at vast contradictions to the values of the kingdom of God. And what we see in the book of Acts is a church who lives exceptionally. He says, we're going to live by a different rule, by a different code by a different set of values that allow them to be set apart for the sake of the gospel transformation in every heart across the entire world. And listen, hear me, if you're here and you're a Christian, that's what you're part of. The book of Acts, listen, it loses its power for us to learn from it if we think that that church is just about us enjoying a moment on Sunday. Like if church for you is just this time, hear me, if it's just this time, you're not going to get much from this. Now, hopefully, in the midst of the Spirit, right, will teach and learn. But the reality is the church is, right, and you've heard this, the church is not a building. It's not this place. It's not an hour and a half on a Sunday on any building across our country. It is the people of God called by him, brought together for the sake of his mission in the world. That's an amen line all day. You guys weren't listening before. Do you hear what I'm saying? So, listen, if, if you just come in and every week over the next 40-something weeks, we just come in here, and we're just like, all right, well, give me my 45 minutes, pastor, Uh, and give me my 45 minutes, worship leader, and we'll do kind of the meet and greet thing, and then you go home and say, well, I did church, and so now I'll do me. For the rest of my life, the other six days and, what, 22 and a half hours, I'll just do me. I'll be divorced from the church. Then you're missing everything that this is about. What this is about is God saying, Listen up, guys, I, I, and we're going to, I'm floating up to heaven, right? And you see this. So, all you guys who are still down here, you have a mission now. And last time I checked, he has not come back, so that mission is not complete. Amen? So, that's why we gather. That's why we're here, and that's what we have to learn. That's why I love the book of Acts. Because the mission's not done, because there's work to be done. And God made us part of it. He didn't have to. God, God could have done something completely. When it was lost, He literally, it's, he's God. He could have thought of all sorts of other ways, but he said, you know, I'm going to get a people together. If you're here and a Christian, you are those people. And we have much to learn from the book of Acts. And so uh, let's jump into uh, chapter 2 here, and then I'll, I'll color it a bit more for us. So in chapter, or verse 12, Acts 1, verse 12. So then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. Not the same Judas that you're thinking of, different Judas. Unfortunate name for him. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer Together with the women and, the Mar- and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, so let's set the stage. So when we last, if you, if you were here last week or if you just read ahead or read before to read it, never mind. So what happened last time we were together was Jesus was talking to his disciples, talking to some of his followers, and he says, listen, I got a mission for you. You're going to take this, this good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, this gospel story, the reality of what I've done, you need to tell everyone in this world about. Okay? Then, like I said, he then floats up. I'm imagining it looks like this. That's what floating looks like. Floats up to heaven. Okay? And as he goes, he disappears, I'm guessing, into the sky. Now, you have a group of people who just saw a guy that they knew was dead alive. That's already a trip. Right? Right? Then that same guy floats up to heaven. Okay, anyone ever seen this? No? So this, right, we can admit this is is a wild moment. Okay, floats up to heaven. And then as they're gathered, trying to figure out what's happened, astonished would be my guess, an angel shows up and said, what's the big deal? Okay, like, why are you still here? You don't see this every day? And I can only imagine where they're at in this moment of just like, okay, we have to go change the entire world that seems bigger than what we can do. Our leader just floated into the sky like a plane, okay? And then an angel said, hey, just relax. This is an absolutely crazy story unless it's just really true. Like, if you're trying, to, again, to sell this to, to a reading population, like, yeah, how'd that go down? Oh, yeah, this dude flirted in the sky, and angel told us to chill out. That is not the way you build religions, unless it's true. And so I imagine as the people that were gathered there saw Christ raise up to heaven and began to walk back home, just the conversations that they would have been having. Can you imagine just, like, trying to navigate what they just saw? trying to navigate what is ahead, right? And honestly, here's the thing. I think that conversation that I imagine they were having on the road must be the conversation that we are having every single day with the believers that are around us. What did we just see God do? What has he done in our life? A celebration of the gospel story with the reality that we are not just to stay here, but move forward. What is next for us? I fear that conversation doesn't happen very often in the church these days. That it's just, hey, are you going next Sunday? Maybe that shows up. But how often do you gather around with the Christians maybe that you showed up here with today or those that you work with, those that are just around, your neighbors, whatever, and say, hey, listen, remember what Jesus did? Remember what he called us to? What are we going to do about it? Like, what's the next steps for us in being part of the mission that God has called us to? Those conversations. I think of the conversations that we need to have more often. What does it mean for us to talk about the gospel and the gospel implications every day so that we actually try and live it? I think that's what was happening. And I, you know, I wasn't there, so just assuming. So what they're going to do today is they're going to gather together in the upper room, and yes, this is probably the same upper room as where they were when they took the last supper, right? When they all gathered together, remember that? Right before Christ's death and crucifixion, they all gathered in the upper room to have one last meal, and they're back in that place now. And think of everything, okay, all the hope that was in that room initially at the Last Supper, like, man, we're dining with this guy, and if you remember the conversation at the Last Supper, it didn't sound super hopeful. It was Jesus saying, hey, guys, I'm about to die, and it's going to be that guy's fault. Sorry, James, not you, man, Judas, okay? It's going to be Judas's fault. And they all looked at you, they're like, what's... So that hope was dashed, and then surely, we know the rest of the story, he goes and he's crucified, and he dies... And here they are in the same place, in the same upper room, just days later, be my guess. And there's celebration, there's mission, there seems to be this motivation and hope that there's something they're supposed to do. Listen, none of this makes sense unless Jesus rose from the dead. Unless we have a Savior who actually came back to life, they get back to the upper room and they disperse and say, well, didn't work out, Right? Like, like if, if they're at the upper room, they had dinner. he said he was going to die, he did die. If he stayed dead and they didn't see him, he didn't appear to the 500 people, they get back to that upper room, they feel the bad memories of being in that place, and my guess is they say, well, let's go back to work. Let's go home, let's get out of here, what's the point? But instead, you get this group of motivated people based on something they saw, they were witnesses to that said, now we've got some real work to do. So what they're going to do is they're going to start strategizing and planning and preparing for the mission that is ahead. What's going to happen is Peter is going to recognize that there's one of the 12 that is now missing, Judas, who betrayed Christ. And so they have a leadership problem. There's got to be 12. This is to fulfill prophecy, and we'll see in Psalm 109. They had to have someone come in and take Judas' place. And Peter's going to recognize this. Now, leadership in the church, this is something we often talk about, but it's something that is of vital importance. Who are the people that are helping lead us? And I don't mean just me. I mean just at every level where you're investing in someone else, how do we lead? What does that character have to look like? What are the prerequisites for what it means to be a godly and spirit-led leader so that the mission would continue? We'll talk about that. Now, I remember the first time I got called into an elder being, I was an intern uh, at Redemption Church down in Tempe, Arizona, okay? So I came in, and and honestly, I'm going to be just real straight up with you. As I was like 25, I was coming off the mission field. You know, my passport was dirty. I had all these cool stories of me with kids and mud huts and stuff on my Facebook. You guys have those photos, don't you? Some of you are like, oh, you're deleting them right now, okay. And I remember thinking gosh, man, I have so much to offer this church. They will be so glad that I'm their intern, okay? So a few months later, I get invited to my first elder meeting. It was just to kind of sit in, right? Just to kind of learn and listen, just, hey, just sit in the corner, don't say anything, you know? And so I walk in, I show up to elder meeting, and I'm 11 minutes late, okay? It's already a bad start. And I walk in, and I'm wearing uh, board shorts, okay? Probably actually about down here back then, so board shorts, that was cooler, shorts here, a white t-shirt that I had just played soccer in, so it was all dirty, kind of sweaty and gross, and a backwards uh, Los Angeles Angel, Anaheim Angels ball cap, okay? Some boo the Angels? <laughs> Dude, take that up with the Angels, man, they're going to get you. Um, and I walk into the room, and the lead pastor at the time, his name was Justin Anderson, great friend of mine, good mentor, looks at me and says, hey, stop. I said, okay. He said, what time is it? I said, ah, oh, know. I'm sorry, I'm a little late. He goes, what are you wearing? I said, oh, I'm close. He goes, stand outside. So I go and stand outside. I'm thinking, oh, he's going to come talk to me. It'll be fine. Two and a half hours go by. I'm still standing outside that door. Okay. Eventually, the meeting ends. And he comes out. He says, let's go to lunch. Okay. He takes me to lunch, and we begin to talk. And he begins to say, like, hey, what, what, what was going on in your, in your heart? And this is what I love about the guy is, at the end of the day, he did not care. And, and to this day, if you show up to one of our elder meetings, it ain't fancy, okay? Like, this, this is about as good as it gets. But what he knew is that in the moment, there was an issue internally in my heart about the way I viewed this leadership thing. That it wasn't something to take all that seriously. We'll figure it out. It was, it was a heart issue. That this wasn't that big a deal. And So in that conversation... He crafted for me, I think, a right vision of what it means to lead and care for people well. Like, what does it mean to actually care about the mission of God enough to care about every aspect of my life? That my heart would be so engaged that even the things that might seem inconsequential, I would care about because it's all for the sake of the gospel. And so what we're going to see today is we're going to see this group of guys say, hey, I know there's already 11 of us, but I think there's supposed to be 12, so we're going to get this other guy. And the reality is this guy that we're going to learn about never even shows up in the Bible again. So it's not like they brought in some super all-star that would change the world. They just brought in this guy because they were supposed to, and so they did it. Although we'll talk about Matthias and some of the things he did. But leadership is an important, important mantle and something that I find so profound that they spent the time to talk about and to spend time in figuring out before they went out to the world and preached their first sermon to a world who needed to hear it. So let's look at the rest of the text and let's, let's keep going. <clears throat> Verse 15 In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Sorry, kids. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akodama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. That was a very graphic scene. So Peter stands up amidst this group of 120 and and here's what I love about what we know what's already happening in this scene way before Peter stands up. What you have is you have a diverse body of believers coming together and here's what they're doing before Peter ever even stands up. They have a few things that they keep heralding together and the one thing or the the first of those things is that they were of one accord and one mind so so listen everyone in the room and so if it's 120 maybe it's less they were of one mind, one thought one accord, one vision one mission, one idea, one savior now now that sounds awesome And, and I don't know if there's any of us in the room this morning saying yeah I don't that would be terrible I don't want that Of course you'd want that. We all want that for the church. But do we really? Like, like, do we really want that? Because a lot of the conversations that I've had over the last handful of years speak differently. There seems to be a lot more bickering and bitterness and argument than unity, cohesion, and celebration together in one mind. Now, I'm not trying to say that there doesn't exist things that certainly churches can be uh, different or take different positions on certainly all day, every day. And, And I'm certainly not saying there aren't certain things that the church, that his bride must believe to be his. Those things exist. I'm talking more about the heart level desire and pursuit of everyone in this room to be a united church for the glory of God. Like when we pray for another local church every every Sunday morning, like that's that's not just kind of like lip service. We we call that church during the week, we ask them what can we pray for. We hear from them, we follow up with them, we say, Hey, we prayed for that, has anything changed? We desire and only think that the way that this thing goes down in Flagstaff, the way that what we see the early church do in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, can happen to the ends of the world unto Flagstaff, but only through his church. And it's not just ours. And that has to come from far more than just me up front saying it. And Anthony praying it. It's got to be every single person in here who calls redemption your home church to also realize that every brother and sister in our city is just that. And what would it look like if we were of one mind? If we really all just lined up around that we majored on the majors. Jesus is the son of God. He so loved the world that he gave his life, life up for it. He lived perfectly perfectly. So that his death, his righteousness could be given to us on the cross. That our sins could all be forgiven. That his resurrection is not only true, but absolutely necessary for new life. And that in that new life, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we now have a mission to live out. If that was just, if we could just rally around that and have the other conversations, have the things we disagree on, I think we should. It's all, there's a lot of interpretation, right? We're, obviously, I'm right in everything, but everyone else, it's okay for us to disagree, but what would it look like if we were of one mind? Have convictions, have beliefs, argue those well, but when it came to us saying, hey, man, we want to see this city turned upside down for the gospel, what does it look like for us to be of one mind? to have relationships with every church in town, for us to be able to go to the city and say as a united front, we're all here, what do you need? Uh, what does that look like? And I don't know, honestly. Like, I, I'm, when I say what does that look like, I don't know. And I'm asking you to help me live it out. I'm asking you to help our church realize this vision of being a church for the city of Flagstaff of one mind and one vision. Now, I think the second thing that we see that they are heavily invested in is a big part of this reality. And it's prayer. It says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Now now this word devotion, I thought I'd look it up because, you know, I like looking stuff up. It says this. It says that devotion is love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. There's nothing too new there, right? Devotion, right? To pour yourself into something. How many of us Especially, like, and here's the reality. I think there are some of us in the room that have incredible, robust, consistent, and awesome prayer lives. Like, I know some of you, and you guys knock my socks off. Like, I just get around you, I just feel awkward. It's like, you, you praying there? What would it look like for us as an entire church to devote ourselves to prayer? Like for us, listen, at every single level, not just the prayer team that comes up here on Sundays, okay, uh, not, not just the people who come up on stage and say kind of a prayer, right? That unfortunately now within church context often just comes across as like, well, this is a transition for us, so we'll pray right now, right? What does it look like for the church to devote themselves to prayer? I don't know. Like, like I, I don't, like I don't know fully what that means here. And so I'd love some ideas, not right now, right? But, but I'd love your thoughts on this. Because I know it can't just be the prayers that we do from upstage on an, for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. It can't just be the 15 minutes right after service. What does it mean for the entire church to devote themselves to prayer? To talking to God. To believing that, listen, maybe that's the, as, as Henry now would say, it's the only necessary thing is that we spend time talking to Him, putting our trust and our hope in what He can do and not what we can do. Now, all of this stuff that we're saying, and I'm firing a lot at you, I get that. It all comes underneath this lens of what I think the church is trying to do here. What I think this early church is trying to do is they're together and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we live out this mission? How do we get ready? How do we prepare well so that when we go, We're doing it well, right? How do we gather together? What do we need to be doing? And I think we need to be of one mind, which means we need to have some hard conversations with each other. It means we need to iron out some of the stuff that we think are just bigger than they need to be. And we also then need to major on the majors and really ground ourselves in the deep truths that are very clear in Scripture. And let's be honest, even when we say very clear in Scripture, multiple people have a thought of what's very clear in Scripture. So we need to have the conversations and have the hard talks. But if we just sit behind our own kind of, this is what I think, and never engage with someone who thinks differently, we'll never get to this common knowledge, this common bond, this unity of spirit that allows us to preach to the world. So we need to get ready there. I think we need to become a people of prayer. I think our church needs to rally around this idea that we need to talk to God more. We need to ask for more things. We need to entrust God with our hearts and our lives instead of saying, I will take care of this. We need to give it over. We need to get ready. We need to prepare for mission. We need to have good leadership at every single level. So from the elder board, me, Anthony, and Randy, on down to just kind of our our non-pastoral staff, right, and every level therein, our redemption community leaders, all of our mentors, at every level, we would not settle for anything but a heart that desires this type of love for God and for his redemptive work. That those people will be raised up to lead not just the people here in our churches not just here but across the city but also the rest of our city as they seek God wherever they're at okay. so I just ask, I mean they, I wonder if they just, are we ready yet are we ready yet are we ready yet like can we go now right so they, they got this mission I'm, I'm, they're hankering to go are we ready yet and I, I just ask us like like are, are we ready yet So we moved here, planted this church about four four years ago or so, four and a half years ago. And I think our work is only beginning. Like I don't think we've scratched the surface of what God wants to do through this church here in this city. And I'm just asking, even this week, and I I honestly, like I told you guys, I prep texts like four weeks in advance just to look, hey, what's coming up? What do I need to start thinking through? And so I've been asking that question for the last four weeks about our church. Are we ready yet? It's like, are we ready to do this? Are we going to be a people who strive to become as prepared as necessary that whenever we show up, God would so use us? Now, there's coming next week, as a foreshadow, there's coming next week a gift from God that makes this tremendously easier. And just so we're clear, I'm not talking about our announcement. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? You guys saw us talking about the announcement, didn't I? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. We'll talk Pentecost next week. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and man, he's going to make this significantly easier. So I'm excited to talk about that. But on our end, what are we doing that we be prepared for the mission that God has given us individually and corporately as a church? And are we willing to, as God speaks, actually do those things? Okay. And so here's what they do. they got to get a new leader in there. And so we get the requirements then for these leaders. It says in verse 21, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism in John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, "'You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, "'show which one of these two you have chosen "'to take the place in this ministry and apostleship "'from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. "'And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, "'and he was numbered with the eleven apostles.'" So they lay out kind of this prerequisite list. I'm going to run through it just real quick. One is don't be Judas. Number two is they have to have had been around, Right? So there had to be kind of some, they had to be known, they had to have been around, they had to be people that were in the space, saw the things they saw, heard the things they heard, learned the things they learned. There was a shared culture that was understood as being necessary before, hey, we're not going to give you this role unless you've been around. The next one is that they had to be witnesses of the resurrection. Right? So they had to visually see the risen Christ. They said, listen, if you're going to be one of these guys, you had to visually see Christ come back. Now, as Anthony said last week, there was a group of 500 or so that saw Jesus in the flesh returned alive back from the dead. So there's some people to choose from, but that was a prerequisite as well. It was very and significantly important. And so they're going to land with two different guys. They got this guy, Justice, and they got this guy, Matthias. And then you get this crazy thing called lots, casting lots. And listen, there's not a ton, actually, of information on what specifically lots was. There's some thoughts and stuff like that. But it does appear 70 times throughout all of Scripture. Much in the New, oh, sorry, in the Old Testament, you see it quite a bit. And every single time to discern the will of God. So like, okay, hey, God, Yahweh, right, from the Old Testament, Yahweh, what, what do you want us to do? Let's cast lots, and whatever it landed on, listen, that was God's decision, right? So it's, it's not chance, it's God-ordained. God's like, well, okay, you're going to do those, I'm going to position them this way. Again, I don't know what they look like, but something like this would be my guess, is what God's hands were doing, okay? And so lots, cast lots, and then whatever it landed on, that was the will of the Lord. So the same thing happens here, they cast lots, and the lots fall upon the name Matthias. And so listen, God chooses The apostle. What we'll see throughout the entire book of Acts is that everything that happens is orchestrated by God. This is not man doing a really good job. Okay, it's God doing a it's God doing a really good job through man. And even in this moment, He shows His will, and Matthias is chosen as the successor of Judas Iscariot and is placed amongst the twelve as the newest apostle. And like I said, we don't know a lot about Matthias. He never shows up again in Scripture. But we do know kind of some Greek books of antiquity that it seemed like he went to Africa and preached the gospel there, primarily in Ethiopia. Most tradition would say at some point he ended up back in Jerusalem where he was, uh, he was uh, stoned and beheaded and killed and martyred with the rest of the 12 outside of John. Okay. And, and so this guy who was raised up, God used in profound ways to go and preach the gospel to the world. But as they came together, there was a way that they were going to assign and appoint leadership because, listen, and the f- emphasis on this text is not on leadership, okay? The emphasis on the text is, are, are, they, are they ready? Are they prepared for the work that God has called them to? And again, they just ask us the same. Are we ready and are we prepared for the work that God has called you to? And that's all sorts of different things. That doesn't mean we storm out the doors right now and hold Bibles and just start screaming Scripture at people it means probably for a lot of us that you're going to go home, you're know, probably, I mean, if, if you're awesome, you're going to watch some football, right? You got to do that. You guys are quiet today. Am I, am I just less funny than I was last year? What's going on? That's all right. I'm like really struggling. Um, no, I'm not. So you're going to go home, you're going to watch TV, you're going to have lunch, maybe hang out with some friends. I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work. You're going to put in a shift. You're going to come home. You're going to take care of your family. You're going to hang out with your friends. You're going to do something, right? That most of this life that we're going to live, some of the hours have already been predetermined, right? Like you've got a lot of hours. You have to do certain things. I want you to begin to ask yourself, what does it mean for me to live out the mission of God that he gave to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth in every context of your life? So when you guys go to lunch today, a group of you, And maybe you go to Diablo, right? What does it mean for you to live out the mission that God has called you to while you're eating lunch at Diablo Burger? When you go home this afternoon and you're sitting at home and you have the opportunity to binge watch Netflix, maybe take a moment and ask yourself a question of, well, what does it mean for me to live out the mission of God right now? And I'm not not assuming, but I'm guessing at some point you might say, well, why don't you spend some time in prayer for those who don't know Christ? Why don't you spend some time in prayer that God would give boldness and excitement and joy to the church that she would carry the gospel to the world. Why don't you spend some time in prayer that some of the terrible injustices that exist across our country now, God in his grace and mercy would begin to continue, well not begin, but would continually intervene and use his people to do the same. Why don't we start asking a question, what does it mean for me to live out the mission of God in every context of my life? Are we ready for that? the reality is, and I've said this before, that's what you signed up for. Like, if you're a Christian, maybe you didn't, like, you just, like, just like iTunes, right? Like, you're just like, yeah, that's good, I'll do it, right? Maybe you didn't read the whole thing, but I'm telling you now, you signed up for the mission of God. And what this book is going to allow us to do is hopefully see how we can do it better and not just by ourselves, but together, right? That the church, that us, that those here, and not just those here in these walls, but in all of the walls of the churches that love Jesus and herald the gospel, that we also would be together for the sake of his name and his kingdom in this city. Okay, Please start asking that question. You're gonna have all sorts of other things that are gonna inundate you and say, no, care more about this, care more about this, care more about this. There was something going on when 120 people, listen, like it's not like the 120 that were gathered here, that, were, that saw Jesus and were given this mission and all that stuff and are sitting there praying and of one mind. It's not like they didn't have other things they could do. It's not like they, they just said, well, I guess since I have nothing else to do today, I'll go live for Christ. It was a conscious decision this is what I signed up for. This is what I believe. This is what the gospel has said and what Christ has done. And so this means things for the way I move forward with my life. Start having these conversations where together, you individually with the Lord, and you together with your friends and family start asking, what does it mean for me to live out the mission of God in every context of my life? Please, and then hold your leadership accountable to that reality. Me and my staff fully realize that if we're not doing this, we can't expect anyone else to do this. We talk about it all the time. Like if we're not over here saying, okay guys, what does it mean for us as a team, as friends to go and live out the, if we, if we can't have that conversation and begin to try and do some stuff, I can't expect you to. So hold us accountable to also being there with you side by side, linked up for the glory of God. Amen. I'll just help myself out. Can't get no help up here. All right. Here's where I to land. I love the church. The church has, I mean, right, the gospel, God, right, but the, God has used his church to change my life. To give purpose that like, look, I, it's not that I did not have purpose before. I had purpose. They were just kind of dumb, right? Like they were stuff that was like, yeah, that would last a little bit. Like I would be really excited about a higher paying job for a little bit. I'd be really excited about and insert kind of whatever idol we want to. But the church and a constant investment from the church in me from men and women who have shaped me and continue to shape me to this day has allowed me to constantly have a vision for what does it mean to live out the mission of God. And so I hope you guys grow in your love for the church through this series as well. Because we live in a very fractured, individualistic society where a lot of you don't even know the people you sit next to in our chairs every single week. And we need to knock that off. And I know it's weird. And listen, I know a lot of you are interested. My wife is like the greatest, like, don't talk to me human. Like, sometimes she's like, shut up to me. And I just said I love you, right? So I guess some of you are here. and You're like, well, I just don't like talking to people. Okay, that's fine. You don't got to, like, talk to everybody. But you've probably talked to some people. And we got to start stepping out and living this thing together as the church. Because you cannot and I cannot do this by myself. One of my favorite quotes is by this guy Stanley Howard Watson. I've shared it here multiple times. He says, saints cannot exist without a community. Christians cannot exist without a community. As they require, like all of us, nurturance by a people who, while often unfaithful, preserve the habits necessary to learn the story of God. Every Sunday morning, when we gather together, and they have the opportunity to talk to so many of you, each of you embodies the story of God and I learn deeper what it means that it's also impacted me. And it crafts and shapes me to look more like Christ. Love the church. Engage in the church. Be part of the church. If it's not this local expression of the church, it's not redemption flies out, that is so fine. Go find another body of believers to do this type of life with. And there are some really good churches in town. Find that community and invest. Be part of it. Join up. Sign up. Pour your life into. Share life. Share resource. Get crazy. Actually love Jesus. Carry out the mission, etc., etc., etc. Please love the church. And I think that over this year, if we continue to press into this stuff, and we learn from each other, and we hold scripture, right, of highest regard, of what it tells us about what our lives should look like, what Christ has done, if we allow the living word of God to shape us. And I I think the city's gonna have to take notice because it's gonna look different when all of a sudden 3,000 Christians across the city of Flagstaff start living the way we're gonna see these people live. Empowered by the spirit, trusted by the word, in community and on mission, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much because I mean, honestly, there's, there's no one at all worthy to, to stand in any place, in any anywhere, God, to um, to communicate your word. So, Lord, I'm humbled by the fact that we have the opportunity, God, to study it and to learn from it and to have it shape us. God, there's just so much brokenness and pain there's so much more also in the midst of that that people can experience there's joy, there's restoration, there's redemption there's peace, there's hope, there's kindness there's love God they're all wrapped up in you Christ they're all wrapped up in in what you've done and in who you are and, and what you want to do continuously not just in us but in our city and so, Lord, I pray that your church would be your church, that we would get ready, that we would constantly be preparing, being proactive, allowing the word to shape us, allowing others to shape us, pressing into community. God, just put these convictions continuously on our heart. Holy Spirit, please bring about consistently a reminder in our hearts and in our minds to ask ourselves if our lives are focused on the mission that you've given us. I thank you so much for all the men and women that have gone before us. God, that we we live in the fruit of their labor. God, I pray that we would be so faithful as well at every level that we'd be your people. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead. So although it may sound like foolishness to the world, it is the true story. It is the gospel, it is the good news that we present. So there need not be no shame, no fear, no anxiety about telling the word about it. Because it happened and you're alive. And you are at work in our hearts and in the hearts of our entire city. And so Lord, we pray that you would just manifest yourself and your power and your goodness across our entire town. Jesus, we love you, we thank you. Bless us this morning in Jesus' name, amen.